Welcome to this month in real estate investing. In this episode, we'll be covering a variety of news items, including Zillow files antitrust lawsuit against rivals, millennials first home regret, and scenic Croatian town sells houses for 13 cents. Uh, don't forget you can join the live conversation with your thoughts and questions on Facebook and YouTube during the show. All this and more on this episode of This Month in Real Estate Investing. Let's start the show. I'm your host, James Brown, and I show people how to make safe, secure returns through our hybrid investing model. Uh, go to hybridinvestor.vip to learn more. And if it doesn't pop up, add the www to that. Uh, if you're watching live, feel free to comment and ask questions. Today, our guests are Cody Hoffein. Hope I'm saying that right. Damon Hart and Joel Friedland. Hope I'm saying that right, too. Um, <laughs> So in, in that order, why don't you guys introduce yourselves, share some of your background, what types of investing you focus on. We'll go from there. Hi, my name is Cody Hoffine. I'm from uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, just out in a town called South Jordan. And real estate's been my game kind of since 2015. Got into it through just the, what I think was one of the back then, at least the easiest at that time, was wholesaling. So I had no money. So we just had to go find the deals. Um, since then, uh, I, I was a co-founder of uh, a very large coaching platform, which was called Wholesaling Inc. Uh, we sold that in 2020, me and my business partner. And then we and a new business partner, well, been my business partner since 2015, just here at our local operations. Uh, we, we started Joe Homebuyer. So it's a franchise, a, an investing franchise so that you can Learn how to get into real estate. A uh, business in a box is probably the easiest way of saying it. We have about 95 franchise territories throughout the nation, and uh, we we love it. Uh, we're excited for the growth of it. We're excited for um, the culture behind it and all the learning that we're, we're getting as, as being entrepreneurs. So excited to be here and, and hope I can add some value. Fantastic. Damon. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, James. And uh, similar to Cody, I'm in the uh, real estate space. A real estate wholesaler to start, which I think is great because you figure out how to actually get to the opportunities. Uh, been doing that for a better part about 10 years and then uh, ultimately started to get into training and coaching other people to do the same. Uh, and uh, my company here is local to Tampa market and we focus a lot on foreclosure investing and just showing people how to get into real estate in a safe way. Um, and also getting to the, the, the opportunity and, and helping people with their uh, with their needs. We believe that, you know, we love the sellers, uh, whereas most people look at it as an opportunity to kind of get a deal. You're really looking at an opportunity to first help someone and then help yourself uh, and create a solution. So that's kind of what we do with Foxy Homebuyer. Uh, and um, and that's a little bit about me. And I live here in Florida probably the last 10 years. I love it. When everybody else is cold, we're warm. Nice. Thanks, Joel. Hey, I'm Joel Friedland, and I live in Chicago. 
I am in the industrial real estate business. I'm a syndicator, and uh, this is going to come as a shock to almost anyone who hears it. Uh, we do most of our uh, syndications. We buy industrial buildings, all cash, no mortgage, not interested in debt. Uh, we are fanatic, risk-averse safety freaks, and there are actually people who like that. Can't make as much, can't lose to a bank. <laughs> nice. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with the syndication model, but most of that's leveraged, which is why people are getting into trouble. Yeah, there's 4,000 syndicators of size in the United States. We're the only one who does all cash deals. Wow. We need to talk after this. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, guys, for being here today. Let's jump into the news. So first one from United States real estate investor Zillow files antitrust lawsuit against rivals over alleged conspiracy. So just kind of a little background. Zillow bought showing time, which most every MLS uses for scheduling showings. Right. Uh, this happened a year or two ago. Um, what's going on is that Zillow is suing some of these MLSs because they're providing other options. And in fact, I'm a licensed agent here in Colorado and our MLS has another option that uh, these other ones that are being sued uh, may be using the same one, but they're pushing it, trying to keep Zillow's showing time out. That's what this is all about. So uh, anybody have some comments on Zillow and that whole thing? I think it's interesting. Well, Damon, why don't you go for it and I'll tap right after you. Well, I mean, I was just going to say it's like with, with Zillow, I, I think overall, if anyone is in the space, everybody knows that Zillow's, uh, you know, their, their plan is for world domination and to eradicate anybody else in real estate. So it's it seems ironic that they would want to sue someone, right? Because that's ultimately what they want to do is get rid of anyone, everyone, everywhere, their, their rivals. But I mean, it's just, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I'm not that familiar with the, with the lawsuit, but it just seems kind of ridiculous that, that Zillow takes the position that they're going to sue people just for not using their stuff. You know, it's like, it, if, if I'm hearing it right. Yeah, Zillow has an interesting uh, perspective behind this. I think uh, just if you call the history, Damon, you kind of nailed some of the things of the world domination. And, and, you know, kudos to them for trying many things and, and failing and still moving forward. Uh, they tried to be an eye buyer and that sunk their ship almost. And so they got rid of that, that branch or that arm pretty dang quick. Lawsuits rarely solve anything. This is the interesting thing. Um, no matter how big of a player you are in the field, I just don't think lawsuits put up good PR or publicity for, for either side. Um, and I think they've got to control the controllables at the end of the day. Um, if you've used some of these, these bookings through Zillow, I've done it before for looking for out-of-state, not in-state. I just have a realtor represent me. But um, when you do an out-of-state, it's just it's clunky. It's hard to get anything done. It's not snap time and someone's on the phone with you. I can call a realtor here and it's like, yeah, let's go look at this tomorrow. Some of these services, they're hard. And so I wouldn't doubt that some states, Denver, other states uh, that are like, yeah, we're going to pump this other one more than this one because this actually attaches to something that gets things done. Um, so I'm, I'm a man of just look inward. Instead of getting frustrated and ticked off, it's instead of looking 
how to fault find and how to promote lawsuits, I always think inside, how, what can I fix? What can I control? How can I get better in this situation? I, I wish Zillow would have that same mindset of fixing a, what I think is not the greatest system in the first place, which is leading them to this frustration of a lawsuit. I have an interesting thing to tell you. Uh, I'm an industrial, uh, I'm a member of a group called the Society of Industrial and Office Realtors. There's 4,000 members around the world. We don't use an MLS. I don't even understand it. Industrial and commercial people have nothing to do with it. So I've been watching this and I want to see him duke it out. <laughs> we'll see what happens here. Well, why don't we jump into the next one from wealth management. Fund managers are bullish on REITs in 2024. For anybody that doesn't know what REITs are, it's an acronym for a real estate investment trust. So um, I don't know if you guys read this article, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I follow yeah, economists. I follow economists. There's a really uh, great podcast called Thoughtful Money. And what happens when you listen to this, he's on three days a week. The guy's name is Adam Taggart. It's fantastic. Very high level economics. And I took economics at the University of Michigan. The thing that I learned is I went to class at 10 o'clock in the morning and one economist would say one thing. And then I'd go to the next class and the other economist would say the opposite thing. And so I watched Adam Taggart and he has all these really sophisticated researchers and economists. And they're, they're so sure of themselves. They, they make these these predictions and they act like they know exactly what they're talking about. And at least half of them are going to be wrong. They're, they're wrong more than the weathermen. <laughs> I can't really tell you that I agree or disagree, but I can tell you one thing about REITs. Um, if you were to liquidate everything that a REIT had and then distribute the money, everybody would lose money because it's based on a multiple of the stock, not of the real estate, not of the basis of the, of the real estate. That Asset. It. Yeah. Yes, that's right. So I don't know. One day, I just don't do REITs because I know I'm paying almost double what the properties are worth in almost every case. Yeah, we can see that. And uh, I mean, being in Tampa, uh, one of the hotter markets, I mean, we've, we've seen like exponential growth in, in current rentals. We've seen uh, price growth um, and, you know, they're talking about a housing shortage and we're not able to get it. I don't know if there's, you know, I, I think a, a large part of it, and I don't understand why they're so bullish because if everybody's, uh, if there's a shortage, you're obviously going to pay a premium to Joel's point. Right. So I, I don't know. I mean, this one, I think they're bullish because they, they, they have to put the money somewhere. So it's going to end up in, in the market that they're, <laughs> that they're most in, uh, most in, entrenched, but. I guess we'll we'll see over time. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you know, if you if you want to get into real estate smart, uh, I would say you know start small and and actually get some experience or work with someone that's doing it. It'd be my my better advice. Don't give your money to Wall Street. Yeah, it was saying in there that you know currently they're trading at a discount, but they're they're bullish because interest rates are kind of stabilizing and um, so. They're starting to get more attractive valuations. So we'll see. Yeah, I think I think um, they talk about how real estate's not correlated with the stock market. If, it, if you've got a REIT, it is correlated with the stock market. 
So the multiples that stocks sell at the PE ratio, which is sometimes they're ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> you know, real estate, my real estate sells for about a seven cap and based on REITs, my stuff would be a three and a half cap. And none of my investors would be dumb enough to invest in that. But if they buy the stock and stocks go up, then they win. It's like gambling. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting animal. Those REITs. All right. Let's jump to the next one from United States real estate investor. Millennials grim real estate reality uprooted and priced out. So they're I mean, talking about them being forced out of city centers and into suburbs. I think the new occupation, the new occupation that we're going to start pumping out in this economy is full-time stay-at-home sons. Like it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be. Uh, there's a, I here's here's a thought I have on this. Of course, it's grim, right? We got uh, we got the rich getting richer, we got the poor getting poor, and I think middle class is squashing out. And, and whether that's completely done at this point or not, what's hard is we've got to we've got to do something if 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 we believe in this. I don't know if we'll get support on a government level, and I don't want to go political with this. Come but on. at the end of the day, I do everything I can to bring my kids along with me on this journey. As an entrepreneur, we're climbing Mount Everest. And when we get to the top of that Mount Everest, we'll realize we're at the bottom of the next hill that we got to climb. But how, how it is my responsibility to also bring my wife, my kids along with me the journey and everyone else that has an ear for wanting to do something different outside the box. I think the current program is not set up to help us uh, overcome this problem because that gap is getting so wide. And because interest rates and because the pricing of the, of the homes, Current programs, I mean, let's let's call a spade a spade. College for most people is not the answer to fix this. And unless you're going to go be a specialist, I, I, I don't recommend any young 18-year-old, 19-year-old to go get into 70, 80, 90, $150,000 of debt so they can then graduate to go start working for 40 grand a year. That's a problem. And that problem is not going to get any better unless we fix the program. And the program, I don't see that changing. So... I think it's up to us entrepreneurs to do the best we can on bringing those around with us, the ones that we love, and help them think differently than just being trained to be middle class, which is actually getting squashed out right now. Yeah, love that. I, I heard I heard someone say um, that you know our our society is going towards one of like kind of like a European. I think it was London. I don't know what the exact statistic is, but I think in London, the vast majority of their population are, are renters, right? Like nobody owns. And I think for a while that we've been on that trend as a as a um, as a as a country, which is surprising because we're a much bigger country than 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 you know England. But we're definitely going in that direction, and uh, unfortunately, ownership has to do a lot with with earnings. Like if you don't have the money, if you don't have the income to support what it is that you want to, uh, to, to purchase, you know, you're, you're, if, and especially if your income isn't that steady, which most, uh, I, let's call millennials or, or people that are starting out in their careers, they, they can't predict. They're not going to be that, that uh, committed to, to making such a large investment and I don't blame them. So I don't know what the answer is other than yes, yeah, select few will have, 
access to, you know, purchase a real estate, the ones that have the higher incomes and everybody else is, you know, going to be learning, learning English and, and starting to play soccer, football, as they call it over there, I think, unfortunately. You know, I come from a different point of view because I'm older than you guys. I'm 64 and my kids are in their 30s and their 20s. And my daughter and her husband um, decided to, to buy a home. And the problem is that they have a, they're a two-income family and it's still really, really hard. And so in, in a lot of communities, uh, you know, the parents, especially immigrant parents, I've seen this, they help the kids. If, if you've got a family that can do that, they will sacrifice to help the kids to buy something. And I've seen a lot of that. So you, know, you look at a bunch of nice houses and you, you have to figure out that someone behind the scenes is a parent or somebody that cares about them, that loaned them or gave them some money toward a down payment. Yeah. Yeah, that happened for me on my first house, for sure. My in-laws definitely, you know, they helped us out on our first condo, our first place. And I don't know how else we would have we would have did it, you know. And it was only like 5% down, but we just didn't have it at the time. So you're right, Joel. That, that's for sure some some of the population. I think the article is pointing to just like the, I guess, the larger statistic, the larger group that, you know, it's reality. Some some of these, the, these uh, families, I'm going to say kids, you know, just because they're younger, but, you know, some of these kids, men, women, families, they're not going to be able to, to afford it unless there's some kind of intervention, like Cody's saying, from the government. And last time I checked, it's how we waited for government intervention. Uh, just shows up a little bit too late. So I wouldn't I wouldn't count on that. So Yeah, and last time they tried this, uh, it was the 2005, 6, 7, and 8, when they tried to make it possible for everyone to buy a house. Uh -huh. And it got abused, and we had a tragic great recession yep. due to the fact that not everybody can buy a house and everybody who shouldn't have did. Right. Good point. And it's facing that point right now, right? So even the individuals that are buying right now, they may have, I mean, Joel, to put it in perspective, um, you said your son-in-law and your daughter, right? I mean, put it in perspective on if we had multiple couples like, like Joel's daughter, that are out there that right now they have two jobs and it's still tough. Well, that's one paycheck away from not making a mortgage payment, right? And so Correct. we've got we've got something coming for sure. Um, I'm sure we'll be talking about that in the show later on with some of these topics that I was, I was looking at. But yeah, it's a, it's a huge concern. It's a huge concern. We've got interest rates. I mean, not the highest they've ever been. My dad said in the 80s, they were like in the 13 to 18%. So thank you goodness they're not that but they're still they're enough to but they also were buying twenty thirty thousand dollar homes they were exactly. that's relative interest. i mean it's completely different it's completely different so yeah we, we've got some we've got some craziness coming our way and i think now for those millennials uh, i don't know how many watch this show but one thing i i personally try to do my best on and i hope whatever ones are watching is get better if you want a better life, it's going to require you getting better. The world doesn't owe us anything. So we've got to learn the new skill sets. We've got to do the work to become better so that we bring more value to the marketplace. And our and our, our actual income is a direct reflection of the value you bring to the marketplace. And some people may agree or not agree with that, but that is a truth. So if you want to be a millionaire, go bring the value it takes to become a millionaire. Um, control the controllables. 
Don't wait on people. Don't wait on the government. Don't wait on programs. Control the control controllables and, and just become better. And as you do that, you'll see that we raise the tides and we help everyone rise. And I think a major way to do it is mentorship. If you find a mentor, somebody who's really made it already, and they're willing to take you under their arm and yeah. teach you how they did it. And I don't see anybody who's super wealthy. My investors are, are very wealthy people. I've got 200 investors. And, you know, the top 1% of the wealthy people in the United States have over $11 million of personal net worth. Yeah. And you need to find one of those 1% who's who likes you and says, I'm going to show you how I did it. And I'm going to stop you from making the mistakes that I made. Now, you're still going to make mistakes, but this mentorship worked. I had a family that mentored me in 1981. Interest rates were 17% and everything was a bitch. Everything was hard. It was awful. It was it was awful. And my friends who had homes were losing their homes because they couldn't afford the, the like today, the rates were going up, up, up. And they were on floating rate debt and went to 17%. And even with the greatest mentor in the world, if you started at six and it goes up to 17%, it just goes against you. And that's when you really need a mentor to figure out how do I get out of this trouble? 1,000%. I think Jim Rohn's quote, ever more true than uh, ever, is you're the average of the five closest individuals you spend the most time with. It's time to level up. There is too many not playing at the level they're capable of. There's too many people playing it safe. Now's the time to cut ties with those individuals because to make it in this world, you've got to level up. Yep. That's why I'm in this group with you guys. Got to stay leveled up with you. You're in, the, you're in this group because you have the coolest name out of everyone. That's why you're in this group. That's why you're the, <laughs> you're the guy. Yep, yep. Unless unless you're a millennial, they they don't know who James Brown is. <laughs> they need to get in here and learn. Yeah. I feel good. <clears throat> hey, that's really good. Say it loud. Love it. Keep going. You got to. I got to get you to like jump up and do the splits though. I can now. That's that's James Brown. Like it wasn't just the singing. It was the fact that that home slice could do a splits like in his fifties. That's the thing. Yeah, at yeah. the age he was too, he's still entertaining. Not, I mean, he was the, he was a godfather, godfather's soul. That's who yeah, he was. Yeah, but for Rocky, I may not have known who James Brown was. I mean, it was it was it was the moves that made me know him. <laughs> nice, cool. Um, let's jump into the next one from Benzinga. Half a trillion dollars. Office real estate owners are about to face huge debt payment. New data shows 2024 is a critical year. Uh, it says 500 billion of its $2.77 trillion commercial real estate debt is maturing. Uh, Joel, got anything to say about <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That? Oh, yeah. So I could, I could do an entire two hour presentation on this. I'll bet. Um, so office building owners are generally speaking institutions like insurance company and pension funds because they're so big a person can't buy a 200 million dollar building or a hundred million dollar building so these are the owners these very big institutions based all over the world and they thought that they could put out a lot of money all at once because they can't just invest a hundred thousand or a million they have to invest 40 million or 80 million 
So the office building world until COVID was a great place to be an investor, but COVID wiped it out and interest rates went up on all these loans that were floating mm -hmm. and it's a perfect storm. And so if you look around at how many foreclosures there are, where lenders have said, we're taking the keys back, they call that jingle mail because you're, you send the keys in the envelope and it jingles as it gets <laughs> through the postal service. Uh, it's a disaster, you guys. And my friends who own office buildings as syndicators, um, they are really losing one after another after another to the lenders. Every day I read the Wall Street Journal and some other person I've heard of or I might even know indirectly is giving back a building. And there's no good answer because it cannot cannot generally be made into residential because the buildings are the wrong shape yeah. plus other engineering problems how is that gonna affect like it's mostly local commercial banks that are, are lending on these how is that gonna affect the rest of the economy if these local banks go down because they're getting these properties back and well, the government will bail them out like they always do. Switch <laughs> <laughs> more cash. But we can yep. count on. Yeah. I think what's interesting, though, he this is where Joel's model, I believe, is the contrarian model, first and foremost. He said, a four, what is it? Four, did you say 40,000 syndicates? Uh, there's there's uh, 4,000 major syndicators. Major 4, major syndicates. And he's the only 50, one. 50 million, $50 million in assets or greater. Okay. And he's the one that's doing it his way. And I love the contrarian method. A dear friend of mine, in fact, his mastermind is called the contrarian mastermind, right? It's Manny Koshman. We bought a couple homes down or a couple buildings down in Houston. We were looking at one in California that Blackstone bought for like $450 million, class A, gorgeous, and we could pick it up for $300 million, $150 million like hit. But they were liquidating because everyone knows what was happening with Blackstone. We could have got this at $300 million. One of the tenants had like 100,000 square feet uh, rented out. So we went to him and said, hey, at, at renewal in two years, because you're, you're the biggest tenant here, what are you going to do? He's like, I'm going to downsize to 25,000 square feet. And we're like, this is a problem. This is a red flag. We pulled yeah. out a deal. We didn't even buy a deal that we had a $150 million discount. And it's probably a valuation of even more than what they bought it for. Like it's a, it's a great class. It's a hard time to buy. Uh, interest rate did that. But I think the contrarian model that Joel's talking about, about being the only syndicate that buys cash because we want to do it safe. Yes, you may not be able to go buy as many as you want because you're going to have to grow with people that are, are in it for the long haul and want to do it a good, safe way. But Joel, you're onto something. You're onto something special because now I actually do believe you can buy office and be very specific on what ones you're doing, not any single tenant spaces or anything like that, but being smart with your investment. Now's the time to be a contrarian like Joel and deploy into some of these commercial spaces because at the end of the day, you still have the Elon Musks out there that are, that are the business owners that sent out an email after COVID and said, come back to the office and if not, you're fired. There are still entrepreneurs that still love office, that still need office and still believe there's more good when people rub shoulders together and ideas and culture and strengthening that happens when you see each other daily versus being remote. 
and those people still need office space. And I think Joel's model is going to win. It won't be the finance. They'll be the ones that can buy free and clear. Yeah. I have a friend, by the way, uh, who has got a company. You can look them up. It's called BA or Bradford Allen. And they are going around buying office buildings all over the country at these huge discounts. And if you're right, Cody, and people are coming back to work, these guys will be billionaires because their model is these things are so unwanted and so cheap. What's happening now looks like it might be forever, but you're right. It probably won't be forever. Things cycle and people may go back to the office. And these guys will have a hundred office buildings that they bought for 20 cents on the dollar. Yeah. It's probably It's probably genius or it's completely right. stupid. It's one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> Depression's through the roof. Suicide's through the roof. Drug abuse is through the roof. Divorce is through the roof. Is it a coincidence that it's like, or not a coincidence, that it's also tied to all of this hunkered down and everyone pulling away from each other, not having physical connection, not having conversations? I mean, these are meant to be. We are, we are an outgoing breed. We were meant to connect. And those COVID times made us disconnected. And it's not a coincidence that here's the byproduct. I do believe people will be back in office. I do believe it's a necessity for our own health. Uh, but again, it may take its time. But at the end of the day, if you buy it cash and you buy the right ones, I'm not saying go buy 250,000 square feet of space unless it makes sense. But there's buildings that do make perfect sense. And uh, and at the end of the day, we're going to get to a topic where Croatia, you said, is selling real estate for 13 cents. Like at, at some point, even if office doesn't come back, cities are going to say, well, then we've got to reallocate what this zoning is and let them turn this into condos, turn them into apartments. Something's got to happen because also a city won't allow vacant buildings to just be all over their city because that breeds a lot of bad negativity, bad things that happen in vacant buildings. So. At the end of the day, I don't think you can lose if you can get it at 20 cents on the dollar, like Joel's saying, because either it's going to get reclassed or office is going to come back. Yep. Okay, let's take a break to learn from one of our sponsors. Are you looking to elevate your business through exceptional content? Universe Media Publishing is your gateway to success. We understand that in the world of business, content is king, but not just any content. Your business deserves content that captivates, convinces, and converts your audience into clients. At Universe Media Publishing, we specialize in crafting SEO-rich web content, persuasive copywriting, and marketing copy that resonates with your audience. We don't just write, we engage, we connect, and we deliver results. Imagine your brand's voice amplified, your message crystal clear, and your presence dominating the digital landscape. That's the power of partnering with Universe Media Publishing. Don't let your business just blend in. Stand out, be heard, and make an impact. Connect with us at Universe Media Publishing, and let's turn your vision into reality. Visit universemediapublishing.com today. Your story, our expertise, together, will create magic. Okay, let's get back to it. From Benzinga, immigration rhetoric meets real estate, real reality. Surging border arrivals set to intensify U.S. housing market competition. It, it, it was saying that there's over 10,000 migrants arriving daily at the U.S.-Mexican border. I don't know where that data comes from, but that's a lot of people. <clears throat> and, and, and then what? 
right? Like once once they get there, what are we doing with the people? Is the question, right? You know, getting into all this immigration stuff, I I have heard that you know there's a lot of it's migrant. They'll come over and they go back, come over and they go back. So it's not like maybe those numbers are a little skewed. It's not ten thousand are coming and staying. So I, I don't know what the data is on that. Kind of interesting. This could open up like a can of worms, gentlemen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know which route I want to take this. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, let's go a, a very uh, normal approach at first, um, yeah. and that is, uh, I've already heard a couple people that for rental specifically, that it's they're like if the government's not caring, like there's, there's, there's going to be a big crisis on housing. We already have a housing shortage. Like it only, this is only like intensifying this problem that we have in the United States. Yeah. Um, but then you got the saying of when you're throwing a lemon, make lemonade. Um, I have a individual that I just spoke to. I don't know him. I don't hang out with him, but we were just talking rentals and real estate. And he says he has, um, he has friends that now rent out their rentals and they charge by the family instead of charging for the rental where it was getting one and a half percent rule or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now it's a $150,000 home. Instead of charging 1500, they're getting three grand because they have three families in there and they're charging grand a family. Well, wow. so there's just, there's different, again, I think there's a doom and gloom perspective you can have. And then there's also, uh, there's more millionaires, billionaires made during the down cycles, the recessions, the depressions, then the uptimes, to be completely honest. And so I'm not saying, hey, that's right or wrong with that, what that guy's doing, but he's thinking outside the box. And because of it, he's finding opportunity. Interesting. It was saying John Burns Real Estate Consulting predicted that net immigration will contribute to 67% of the population growth over the next decade. I believe so that, it. Okay. That's significant. I, I got a question for everybody here on the panel, right? When when we say housing shortage, uh, what are we talking about? Are we talking about affordable housing or just housing in general? I think both. I mean, the bigger problem is the affordability, right? And I and I and I and I'm asking that question, and thanks for that because I personally think it's it's more the affordability that's the larger share of that that crisis, so to speak. And I think, you know, let's keep it real. If if there is an opportunity that's going to come out of this, it's going to be at solving the problem for affordability. We were just living in California the last couple of years. Being from Florida, I was shocked at how creative people can be when they're, number one, there's a need and how incentivized, you know, the, the, the government was. They, they made it easy for people to kind of come up with these different ways, ADUs, um, yeah. hat splits, you know, uh, Airbnbs in certain spots that were approved. I mean, people are going to are, are going to answer the call of the market. So I think with the affordable housing or housing crisis at, at large, it's just going to be, you know, people are going to come up with a solution to, to fix the to answer the call for the problem that's right in front of them. And I think yeah, it's going to present nothing but opportunity for people that that are smart and solve the problems. Yeah. In that article, it did mention that immigrants typically do rent versus buy. And, you know, there's a challenge for people coming in from out of the country. If if they don't have a Social Security number, they've got an ITIN number, um, taxpayer ID number, not a Social Security. They've 
got to pay. It's like 30, 40% down. That's a huge uh, pause. Like, so we do rent to own as an example, we invest in rent to own. We've got a property in Florida uh, where you are that uh, it's a family from Honduras. They came over and they've, they've got a good cash flowing business, but they're looking at a 30, 40% down payment. They're like, ah, we can't do that. So we've got them in a home renting until they can get that. That, so that makes sense. Um, but yeah. rent because of something like that. Um, it also mentioned in that article that, that uh, rental suitable for multi-generational living are ideal. So what you guys are talking about, getting the whole family in there. So any other comments on that one? Joel's like, I'm sticking industrial. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to tell you that I, I live in the, I live in Chicago. Our office yeah. is in Chicago. We own a lot of buildings in Chicago and I do a lot of driving. I do a ton of driving around all kinds of neighborhoods in the city. And Chicago is just a typical city. Maybe there's a little more crime in certain areas than in other cities, but every city has the same kind of problem. Cities have terrible, terrible square miles of beat up, rundown homes that just have to one day be replaced. And the incentives for, for bringing a developer to build in those areas are just not great enough. Yeah. And that's the problem. They, nobody wants to go there. And in fact, in the toughest neighborhoods, they're closing um, McDonald's and they're closing uh, stores like uh, grocery stores. They, they're, they're, I, I, I call them like food deserts. And when there's a food desert, it's also a desert in terms of having affordable, nice homes. I don't know what the answer is. I, I it just I rack my brain all the time. How does how does this get fixed? Mm-hmm. And I just have no idea how this is gonna get fixed. So you've got families living in, in Chicago in zero degree weather and homes don't even have heat. And there's so many, there's thousands and thousands of neighborhoods that are just so run down. You know, these these homes were built a hundred years ago and they're still there and no one's fixed them up. So someone needs a program. And I think, Damon, you're right. The economy, the, the, the free market system is going to figure it out. It's just until it does, all these people, whether they're, they've come from other countries or whether they've been here a long time, are just living in such tough conditions. And I drive back to my suburban house and I think, wow, I just am so grateful that we can be somewhere where there's heat and a green front lawn which they don't have. 100%. Hmm. Yeah, we got a comment in the chat. Are we in the fall of the Roman Empire? There are some parallels. <laughs> we'll see. That, that's scary when McDonald's are shutting down and yeah. a comment in the chat, targets are closing. I, I don't know when the Roman Empire knew, like when, when I'm sitting around just being a Roman, I don't know if, 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 if the word got out, we were just like, yeah, we're in trouble. But when you say the parallels, James, you, you can't like I, I don't think we're gaining. I don't think we're gaining in popularity or strength as a country. And that's alarming. Right. Like, I don't know where we are on the 
is it, are we at the end? I can't say, but we're definitely not on the upswing is my concern. So yeah. it's a little scary. I think whether you're on the right wing or left wing, at the end of the day, it's still part of the same bird. But it's just there's such a disconnect that we haven't felt for so many years. And then you have things happen that bring a, a community and a country back together like 9-11. It's almost like we have to have another reminder yet to bring us back together. And I, and I wish it didn't come to that, but history just continues to repeat itself. And yeah. we see a people that uh, I, for one, am, am, am Christian and, and, and love God. And I feel like uh, as a nation, we're just, whether that's a higher power for me, it's God, but whether that's karma, whether that is the universe, the universe we're losing our focus, that there is there is a higher power and we're losing that focus. And every time we lose that focus, a reminder comes at some point to bring us back in. But uh, we lack leadership. We lack leadership in a major way. And we, we lack love for one another, common ground. Now you can no longer talk about something that you believe in because if they don't believe in it it's no longer like a conversation it's now i hate you and i'm unfriending you it's just it's a different world we live in and there's not any one given fix you could raise you could raise wages and it still wouldn't solve this problem i mean at the end of the day mcdonald's is also there's already they're already out there's mcdonald's that has no workers it's all robot ran nothing you walk in and no human soul is in there and yet you can still get a burger and fries and a drink same thing with cars i was just in arizona you can order it's not uber but you can order a uber and there's no driver you hop in the back seat no one's driving the car and you're like is this real? is this happening am i living in the times where i don't need someone to physically drive me from a to b yes we're in that time even more so now is why maybe go back a couple steps prior to where we got to this conversation, we have to become better as individuals. If you want to be able to overcome this crisis, you've got to think outside the box. We can no longer just sit and let life happen. You've got to, you've got to be the game changer, the world changer. Yes, they're, they're ridiculed before they're revered, but we have to be better at coming up with new ideas, new strategies, and just taking imperfect action. We're trying to build perfect plans, and there's just no such thing as perfect plans. We just have to act imperfectly and make changes along the way. Well, since you got political, I'm going to dive in and be political. <laughs> hey, I welcome it. I welcome it, yeah. and I, I love this. Yeah, so I, wore, I wore my red hat just for this occasion, Joel. Yes. <laughs> I'll be back and sewed MAGA. <laughs> so this is this is what I see. So again, I, this is from an older mind, right? I'm 64. And I've got mentors still in my life who are in their 80s and 90s who I talk to all the time. And when you go back and talk about history repeating itself, yes, it does. And here's the, the thing that, that's happening now, the way I look at it. I had a personal war with my business partner when things got bad in 2008. And we sued each other. And we came at each other. And we were constantly just fighting and what was happening was our portfolio of properties was struggling and the two of us were fighting and the fight got worse and worse and worse and worse why because there's an incredible energy that comes from anger resentment and feeling like a victim mm -hmm. and if people have a problem in front of them and it's so big 
that they can't figure out how to handle it, the first thing they're going to do is say, what's in my best interest, my self-interest? Mm-hmm. And what's in their self-interest is to feel better. It's it, That's their first thing. Everybody wants to feel better, be happier. So if you've got a giant problem, instead of facing it, what makes you feel better? The energy that comes from fighting, the fight. That's why there are wars. That's why there are lawsuits. And so from my point of view, what you're saying is exactly right. People need to be better, but it's not human it's, it's not a human way of thinking. Let's make the world better. I'm going to, I'm going to go out and do that. It's, it's what's in my best interests and what's in the best interests of both sides on politics is to fight, to stay in their jobs. Mm-hmm. We've got a $33 trillion uh, national debt. And instead of addressing that, everybody's fighting. Why? Because the energy makes them feel better. It's a dopamine hit. To be in a fight and make a point and get on the news and be on TV and be a fighter. So everybody's a fighter because that's human nature. That's why it's a problem. How do you fix that? Pride is the hardest thing to fix in life. Yeah. I I don't know. I kind of, I think maybe a hybrid approach like kind of what you're saying, Joel, from a top down and then Cody saying like more individual, I think it has to start locally. Uh, I, I, I understand how we're structured as a, as a country and what we all try to do and, and follow the chain of commands. But at the end of the day, you know, founding fathers, from what I know about history, they wanted to have the states and the low and the cities to have control because they knew if you relegate your power to someone who doesn't live in your area, doesn't live in your in your immediate circles, they're going to abuse it, right? And they're not going to have your best interests at heart. And I think that if you can focus in on that part, at least you got a shot, like, like nothing's guaranteed. But I think if you start individually and then go to just the people around you um, and just knowing that, hey, you, you, this, the, this, what do you call it? The ship is probably not going to come from the top. At least you got a fighting chance. And then you just work your way up and you know, if you get enough people up behind you, you end up a little bit further ahead, I'm thinking. James, you're going to appreciate this to bring us in round circle back to the border. Um, <laughs> I will tell you, if there's anything positive about this, it should be for each one of us to be grateful. And as a reminder, Amen. people are fleeing their country to come to our country. Why? Because we better be pretty dang grateful that this still is a great country. Like, even with all the bad that happens... I just got back from Jamaica and I'm grateful I lived in the United States. I got back from, I, I was 19 years old and I served a church mission in Honduras. Man, am I grateful I don't live in Honduras. Like every time I leave this great nation, I'm reminded just how much more grateful I am. And so a positive side, when I see 10,000 fleeing here a day is, you know what? We've got something special in here. Let's protect it. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking too, like people from overseas, they probably they're seeing all the glitz and glamour, you know, of the U.S. And that that draws them here. They don't see all the, you know, vacant homes and you know war zones we actually have here. But despite them not seeing that, like overall, it's still like you said, it's an amazing country. They don't right. see the homes that have the wrong shade of color on their roof. <laughs> Ugh, gross. Yeah. 
We don't put that in the ads. We want to get people here. Remember, we want to really that's right. That's keep right. that ten thousand. We want people to see their roofs when it's sunny, not shady. <laughs> this is an inside joke, guys, to a prior yeah. conversation we all had. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For anyone, I put a new roof on my house, and I picked a color, and I thought it was the the color I wanted. And I must have looked at it in the shade, and on a sunny day, my house looks like crap <laughs> <laughs> because it's shiny when it's sunny. So Cody, Cody uh, is giving me a little. Yeah, <laughs> a dig. All right, let's jump to the next news item from CBS Pittsburgh. Wall Street buys hundreds of houses in Pittsburgh area and turns them into rentals. I'm yeah. talking about. Um, that reducing housing availability for first-time home buyers, which is already a problem. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I happen to know some guys in Pittsburgh that mm -hmm. that uh, are pretty active, a big group, and they've they've acquired a bunch on the. They're pretty active in the residential space and in realty and uh, what do you call fix and flip, and they rolled up a pretty sizable um, portfolio there. Uh, in a short amount of time, probably like under five years, I think above like a hundred million or something like that. So, it, you know, it's for guys that never were in the industry, this says something about the market, right? That it's, it's prime for it. And I'm not surprised that, you know, uh, because a lot of these institutions are looking just for the, the, the cap, right? The numbers are, they pencil out. They're, they're always going to be there in my opinion. You were cutting out there for me. I don't know about. Yeah, for a, second, for a second, the last couple, maybe thirty seconds. Okay. Cut out uh, what I was, what I was basically saying, if you guys can hear me. Yep. I'm yeah. not surprised. Yes, they, they, yeah, they're going to be there. No, whenever the numbers pencil, uh, that's where the institutions are going to be. 100%. I think this goes back. I hope listeners like come to this. Like, how do we win in an economy like this, or how do we win when Wall Street comes in with all this money? And at the end of the day, there's thousands of homes still in Pittsburgh. A hundred homes does not change my abundance, does not change how much Cody's taking home. Like that's the other side of this coin is they're doing something that makes great in his investment. But as an investor that's living there, don't be frustrated because if you think a hundred homes means less to you, you are already losing in the game of real estate. We are all going to the ocean with five gallon buckets. And if, Joel takes a five-gallon bucket and dips it in the ocean. It's not going to ruin my parade a hundred yards down with my family at the same ocean. Like it's there's so much opportunity in real estate, and if we focus that a hundred homes is going to ruin the game, I'm here to say you've already lost the game. If that's the case, then Henry Ford says it best: whether you believe you can or can't, you're right. So then move and go to an economy where Wall Street's not buying homes. Like. It's uh, there's still so many deals out there. Stay happy, stay focused, stay positive. A hundred homes does not change whether you're going to make it or make it or break it personally. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at the numbers, I know my business partner, Toby Hansen wrote a, a good article that showed like the actual numbers of institutional buyers, REITs, Blackstone, BlackRock buying versus uh, mom and pop investors, smaller operators. It, it's still a pretty small amount even though the the news sources make it seem like it's all getting bought up so there's still there's We're still meat on the bone a hundred homes are gone in pittsburgh it's like 
No, not a hundred. <laughs> what about the millions of the other homes? Yep, exactly. I, I watched that. Uh, it was actually a video on YouTube, and they were talking about uh, these companies coming in and claiming they're restoring homes and stuff. But uh, there's a lot of complaints that there's deferred maintenance and the cold conditions in the homes and stuff. So, uh, and that may be a truth. They're not doing it their best way either. Sure. Yeah. Like mom and pop investors typically have, uh, they're looking at it more like, yeah, we're, we're renting to a family. It's not just numbers, you know, so they're more engaged, maybe taking those calls or at least their property management company is taking calls. It's not just a, a big heartless company, you know, or be a contrarian, like become an HVAC contractor. They're going to need a hundred homes fixed up. Be the HVAC guy that goes and gets a hundred homes tomorrow. Like just think outside oh, the box. So you're, you're diving into what I consider to be mental health. And I think that everything comes down to mental health always. Now my daughter's a therapist. My mother's a therapist. My father was a psychologist. So my family business is mental health. I'm the only one who started real estate. Uh, is, instead of being uh, someone who listens to people's problems and tries to help them solve them. But I've had my mental health struggles. And what Cody was saying is so right. It's what what your opinion is, is based on what your attitude is. And your attitude is based on how you talk to yourself. It's self-talk. Mm -hmm. And you're saying is the abundance theory is really important. And I think people who are super mentally healthy, they're not overly uh, excited about things. They're, they're making great judgments and they're, the decision-making process, if it's good, requires good mental health. Because if you're addicted to something or you're uh, in a depression or you're elevated in your mood because you've got a mood disorder, you can make some really, really horrible decisions. And what what I believe is the case is that people who are steady thinkers who make good decisions generally feel good about themselves. They're not ashamed. And they can say the kinds of things that Cody's saying, which is there's abundance. There's a way. Find a way. Don't give up. And I think you are totally right. Yeah. Agreed. Well, let's go to the next news from Fox Business. Market expert warns U.S. real estate is a slow-moving train wreck. The uh, get me on about, that train. I love it. <laughs> they're talking about uh, looming risk of defaults and um, estimating. $700 billion uh, hit in the commercial sector, which we've already talked about. Are you waiting for me? Jump, <laughs> jump in. I'm, I'm kind of at a loss here and I'm reading my notes. So, yeah. Well, um, it's cyclical. It's no. a cyclical business and it's been good for too long. In 1981, there was a recession and values were down and foreclosures were happening. And then again, something bad happened in the 19, early 1990s. That was really bad. And it, 
it's going to happen again. You can't have 15 years of all good. You know, I, I have a friend who's got a sign that says the stock market always goes up and it sits behind him. So when he's on a Zoom call, everybody sees it and they go, no, it doesn't. He says, it's a joke. It's a joke. You know, there's cycles. And we're, I think we're going into a, a period at some point where bad things are going to happen. And I think it may be right around the corner or maybe not. But with high interest rates and defaults, I'm, I'm really worried about it. And I don't believe that things are going to get great. I think that things are going to be pretty tough for a little while. Yeah. I, yeah I'm seeing the writing on the wall. Uh, there's a bunch of people in my group, real estate brokers that are REO guys that were dealing with all those bank owned foreclosures back in, in 08. And so I'm following suit. I'm ready. So I'm REO certified as an agent, get prepared. May, may not be a big hit, but uh, it's coming. Yeah. Damon, we're kind of in the same industry. And yeah. at least I can admit this, and I bet you'll say the exact same thing. This last run where the bull was away for as long as it was and the bear hibernating for as long as it did, it made me look better than I actually was. Like That's, that's just the truth. I, I, I'm always humble enough to admit people that that economy made me look way, way too good. Sure. Um, I think now the dust is, I wouldn't say it's settled, but now that we've had the explosion and at least we're trying to find out what's going on, I think ever more, this is the important thing of, again, there's a great book called who moved my cheese, right? It's yeah. like, now's the time to move. The cheese is being moved and we better move. Uh, if you're afraid that the hundred homes from wall street is changing your business, move, move where the cheese is then like at the end of the day, we have to, we have to think differently, but, um, this economy made us all look really, really better than we when we are. Now is the time where you're going to see the true leaders and the true business people really stand out. All the gurus that we find on YouTube, it's so hard. It's so hard for me to care to watch YouTube because I'm like, I don't know if it's true or not. Like he's going to make ten million dollars, but what if he's a Walmart backer? I'm not going to accept that advice, right? Right. You'd be willing to trade, like take advice from only people you'd be willing to trade places with. And I think there's going to be a, a silver lining behind all this. You're going to see when the tide goes down, who's out there with no swimming trunks on, right? Like <laughs> you're going to be able to know now who are the real people and who are the fake gurus. And I think it's going to, it's going to help me personally uh, know who to level up with. And I think now is more importantly, like this slow moving train wreck, now, like a Joel, for example, Damon, um, myself, like now is the time to collaborate. And I think so many times because our world has taught us through even schooling, if you if you work with someone, that's called cheating. Like uh -huh. you do this by yourself and get an A. But then you go to the world life and you do work by yourself. Good luck if you'll get past a quarter million in life. Like my business is where it's at because I have incredible team that work together. They don't cheat. They work together. Like that's not called cheating. That's called collaborating. That's how we rise. And that's how we become someone better. I think now's the time that we better be finding. Like I'm excited to reach out to every one of you guys after this. Cause I'm like, I think there's a way we can collaborate. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm grateful for this instant introduction to you guys because I'm sitting here in my mind already thinking, I need to talk to Joel. <laughs> industrial i know nothing really about syndication i've never done one before but i feel like he does 
and I feel like it'd be a great place to put my money. Like I'm already thinking of ways that I cannot win by myself. I need others to win. And I think we have to start thinking outside the box. Like who are you going to start collaborating with? Collaboration is it's, I mean, we watch this all the time. Iron Man, for example, all the, all the Marvel people, their individual videos did fantastic. Don't get me wrong. They were awesome. They made a lot of money for Disney. When they came together and made Avengers, it 10X'd any one video. Why? Because all of them were together. It's like, I get Iron Man, Hulk, I get all of them in one, and everyone went to the show, and the box office was a hit. It's a hit. Yeah. That's a good analogy. (laughs) We have to collaborate. Quit going through this life alone. And ruled so much funner. Like, when I talk to Joel and Damon and James after this, it's like, life's funner when I get to collaborate and hang out with good people and just grow. Yeah. Yeah. Magic, man. Yeah. You're right. You're right about the collab because, you know, I found very early on and I, and I tell one on myself too, when you first get into the business, you do, at least I did felt that it was like, man, I gotta, I gotta figure this thing out on my own. And I struggled for a very long time. Um, and, but, but it, what it taught me is a couple of things. First, you, there are certain things that everybody's great at, and there's a whole bunch of other ones that you're not great at you get to identify those things. And then for the other parts that you're not really great at, you know, collaborate and the things that you, you know, and you can get those from somebody else. Right. And then for the things that you are uh, exceptional at, that's going to become a benefit for the other person that you may be working with. It's just having that kind of inquiry. So I agree with you hundred percent, man. Uh, I think that's mm-hmm. huge. And that's, that, that ties back to that whole idea of abundance mindset, because let's face it, when you don't think, you know, that you have any options and you're all by yourself, there's not a whole bunch of possibility that's coming, coming your way. You know what I mean? It's only when you think the opposite that you got stuff happening. So I got a very interesting thing. I agree with you. And again, I'm coming at this from a, an older standpoint, my, you know, my stage in the game. You got to stop saying that. You're no one like 64, okay? You're not like, you're not 95 years old. There's some value and experience. People right, think okay. they know what I'm talking about because I'm older. Okay. But but the bottom line is that um, the best thing you can do from my standpoint that I've learned is build relationships with people who are amazing. Find the amazing ones and build the relationships. I have put together a group of eight of my investors and I call them my advisory board. And I don't buy a property without talking to all of them. Sometimes we do a Zoom call with all of us on before we decide we're going to buy a building. And I have each of the really smart people on that call. I say to them, ask me your toughest questions. Let's collaborate. Let's figure out if we're going to do this deal. If you guys can't try to trip me up with tough questions coming from your older minds and your experience, we could make a mistake. So I think it's really important to have a crew. If they're your employees, if you know which ones are the ones that you would rely on for their judgment. And if they're people who are in your industry or people that you respect who are in a different industry, I am loving this whole thing of being able to make a phone call to someone I trust and talk something through to make the best decision with their help. You can't do it alone. You are so right. You can't do it alone. If you try to do it alone, you can't, you can't do it. It's not possible. Yeah. yeah. You need the other people. 
but you need to pick the right ones. You pick the wrong ones, you're going to end up with a criminal. I have a good friend who's got a problem. He, he picked some guy who, who he didn't check out his background, and the guy had been in prison for a Ponzi scheme. Hmm. And he had another guy, and he was a litigious lawsuit filer and came at him because he picked the wrong people. Oh. That's the biggest question. How do you pick the right people in your life to make sure? Because if you pick the wrong ones, it's like picking the wrong investment. You can't fix it once they're in your ear and they're not good. Yeah, That's the yeah. problem. Yeah. You're, you're investing in your network. You got to make good investments. I love that. Another reason why this, Joel, that, I, that I'm with Damon on is like, you got to quit saying this, man. The reason why I love listening to you, Joel, though, is because experience by itself is not the mother of all learning. If that's the case, every 80-year-old would give us wisdom. And there's 80-year-olds that I know today that I'm like, I don't want to hear one word out of this guy's mouth. Like, I just wouldn't accept it. Uh, John Maxwell, one of the – probably the biggest name out there in leadership, uh, wrote like 80 books or something on the, on the title of leadership. Um, he says it's the reflection upon the experiences that's the mother daughter. And so what I love about what you're bringing to this, to this uh, show, Joel, is you're not just having experiences, you're reflecting upon it. And then you're also seeking for advice. Like you must've had a bad investment go bad to make you probably consider having board of eight advisors. Like that to me is knowledge. Like that's knowledge. You are reflecting upon your experiences and knows now experiences making me a better person. Yeah, I had a $200 million portfolio and I had investors who put all the money up with me. And back when things went bad in 2008, we had 50 buildings and 10 of them went vacant for a variety of reasons. And I had seven banks chasing me and I had done a note fund and I had 62 investors and they weren't getting their money back anytime soon. And I had to admit to everybody very quickly the things were bad. You know, you can't hide that. Right. And I went through this really crappy experience and that was a gift. That was a learning experience gift. Love it. Yeah. Let's jump into the next one from New York Post. A record number of office buildings will be converted into apartments in 2024. Here's how many um, we talk about this on this show pretty much every month, converting office buildings. Um, says yeah, there's change. People don't like vacant buildings. This is what we were talking about. Things will change. Yep. Uh, let's see. It said um, it's a record breaking 55,000 housing units from office conversions coming, marking a fourfold increase from 2021. Mm. Also said government initiatives, particularly in Washington, D.C. and New York, are helping revitalize those those spaces. And Dallas leads with 3,163 housing units converted. So there you go. Government backing it up. Yeah. And there's a there's a problem with it. It's too quick. Like there were a lot of conversions and there's a lot of those. Uh, we have one here in Salt Lake that was doing that conversion process it's now underwater that's oh. everything because no one's renting it either like it's too much is also a problem too so i am not saying uh apartments is the answer either but maybe in its time maybe it will but there will be an elon musk out there 
mark my words, I'm not saying Elon Musk, but there will be someone that thinks like Elon Musk that will think of what to do with these areas. I don't know what it is, but if you can think like blue ocean, no one's ever done this before, someone's going to be doing something with these buildings and they are going to be the next known billionaire that every one of us hears about. Yeah. Yeah. But you want to hear what the challenges are? Oh yeah. The challenges with converting an office building to a, a residential building, all, all real estate comes down to two things, geometry and location. And the problem with the geometry of an office building is office buildings were built with a center core where the elevators and all the plumbing for the bathrooms are right in the middle of their common areas. So if you work over in the corner of a square building, you, you walk a distance and you go to the, the bathroom uh, or you go to the elevator or you go to the emergency stairs and there's a common area. But what it means is there's no plumbing to the area where the windows are. Yep. And in order to put plumbing in for sewers and for water, you have to you have to jackhammer the floor. The problem is the way the buildings were built structurally, they were not built to be jackhammered because all of the concrete and all the steel that's put together holds it together. So there's a structural insecurity problem if you start drilling and cutting up the floor. But everybody wants their own kitchen and their own bathrooms and everybody wants windows. And there's too much deep space where, you know, where they throw the like the accountants in the, in the back where they have no windows. <laughs> Nobody wants to live in an apartment that has no windows. So the shape of 90% of the buildings that are suffering from these vacancies don't work from a standpoint of dollars and geometry. And someone's going to figure it out. I don't know what it is. You're right. Someone's going to figure it out, but you can't make it work today in a conventional way. Impossible. We've talked about this before. There's also converting to storage converting to industrial, but those, those all have challenges too. Like with the industrial, it, it's gotta be super light industrial because those floors weren't built to, to handle heavy stuff. Right. And yeah, then and industrial other, requires loading and there's no loading. Yeah. Yeah. No loading docks. Yeah. Maybe on the first floor you could make, make some work, but yeah, there's nobody wants an elevator in an industrial building. They, they build them real tall. They build them now 36, 40 feet tall. So they can have a forklift truck go up and down between the racks to pick stuff up in the Amazon buildings. Right. Nobody, nobody wants to, in, in the 1800s, they used to build a multi-story because they didn't know what they were doing with giant freight elevators. Mm -hmm. but they don't work. You can't move freight in a person elevator. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, let's take a break to hear from our next sponsor. If you're listening to this, there's a good chance you work within the real estate investing industry. There's another good chance that you would like to increase the sales of your products or services. Well, you're in the right place. United States Real Estate Investor is a platform you need to place your brand directly in front of your target audience. With our focused, growing audience of real estate investing beginners, enthusiasts, and seasoned professionals, you can continually reach our captivated viewers and listeners with ease. 
To learn more or to get started today, just visit unitedstatesrealestateinvestor.com slash advertising. That's unitedstatesrealestateinvestor.com slash advertising. Get ready to increase your brand awareness and your bottom line. Attract clients with content. Okay, from CNBC, housing affordability is reshaping migration trends. Kamna says, here's where people are moving. Uh, They're relocating to southern and midwestern cities where housing costs are more manageable and construction is keeping pace with demand. I'm sure all you guys have seen. uh, There's those interactive maps showing people just flooding out of California and some out of Colorado or where our prices are high. Sure. Yeah, I I live it. There's construction all around. Um, You know, places that used to be like, man, who the heck would live out there? They're all they're all uh, built out. uh, And and even the, the, the towns around those towns that were almost in the sticks, so to speak, are now being built out. So it, it's cool. It's cool to watch. And then you wonder, OK, when is it going to reach capacity? But um, I don't know. I, I feel like people are going to are going to go where where the 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 opportunity is for, for work, which I think places like the Midwest, like if you look at like Dallas Metro, like they have a lot of opportunity going there. So people are going to want to go and the weather's good. So if I had a choice, if I'm a millennial or someone that's still working age and I'm like, well, I could live in California and barely afford it or I could move to to, to Dallas or or or, uh, you know, even like uh, Tampa and have a decent life and, and, and possibly own a house maybe someday. Why wouldn't I? So it, it, it's definitely a thing. And, um, you know, we'll see in time, you know, how, how it kind of shapes out. But if you're in the business, if you're in the business of solving problems for those people, those are the places to look because that's where the that's where the magic is happening. That's where the actions go. I think there's a devil's advocate. I want to play on this one, David. I'd love your uh, input on this. Yeah, sure. We got this affordability problem. So you got people like here's Metro, and they're moving out to these suburbs, or moving out to these, or even cool, right? Because they're like, well, I don't even work in the office anymore. I work from my home, and so now I have Starlink, and I'm fully connected to my business. But I live out in this rural area where land was nothing. I was able to put a mobile home out there, something that makes it affordable for them. Correct. And my devil's advocate to it is, is that solving the problem or is that solving the symptom? Because in my head, at any given moment, if there's again, there, the, the one thing that we can always agree on is the cheese will always move. I don't know what the next cheese movement is going to be, but let's say theoretically they bring them back to the office. What happens right. out to these individuals that lived and bought out in these rural areas because it was affordable? And more importantly, I guess my question is, I this is where I come back to like control the controllables. I mm-hmm. think, I think you can be forced to move because you can't afford it or, or address the real problem and say, Hey, you know what? If I want to make more money, I've got to do the work. Like I've got to, I've got to learn some new skill sets. I've got to, I've got to challenge my current beliefs that say, Oh, I, I can't make more than 150,000 because my dad may have never made more than 150,000. Well, those those things are caught. I mean, do you know how many how many of us caught something when we grew up? Not necessarily taught, sure. but we caught these beliefs. Yeah. And now at thirty, well, now I'm forty, but like at thirty years old when I was getting into entrepreneurship, I had to challenge 
these beliefs that I caught growing up, not necessarily just from my family, but just from environment, from our lives. We catch all these beliefs like, oh, I could never build a business because I don't know anyone that's ever built a business. And my mom and dad worked for corporate America. Uh, so there's there's these things that you got to challenge. You got to learn new skill sets and you got to challenge your beliefs that are limiting you and holding you back, thinking you have to go live in a rural area in a mobile home in dirt cheap ground. So I, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like this moving around can be symptom versus really fixing the problem. Maybe that's my devil's advocate. And I want to see your points. If you yeah. Yeah. And, and I appreciate that because I think you're talking to the symptoms, but it's more like on a micro level is what you're trying to uh, kind of advocate for a change. Right. And yeah, if people were generally speaking, if we were all more responsible individually, they, they really wouldn't, it wouldn't really need government programs or those other things that people depend on. I think, I think when I, I talk about just like this, the, the trend that I'm seeing is that people are overall, they want to be in places where it's way more affordable than their other option. So if I, if I have an opportunity to live in San Diego versus even somewhere that that's relatively high price for my, for Florida, like Miami, guess what? I'm going to go to Miami, especially remote. Right. So, and, and depending on your age group, of course, but that's the kind of thing that I, I think is not going to, not going to, Change very much, in my opinion. I think people are still going to opt for the path of least resistance, and they're going to want to go for great weather and where they can afford something that they wouldn't otherwise be able to afford. But again, to your point, for those that want to rise to the occasion, that want to take on the personal responsibility, I think this is there's no better time than than now because you're, you're the the world is your oyster. You're going to be able to pick wherever the heck you want to go. You don't have to live in a mobile because your, your value to the marketplace is going to be higher, you know, but well, I don't know. I, I wonder if that person's the exception versus the, the norm. So there, there's a rule that's well known. It's called the Pareto rule. It's called the 80, 20 rule. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that. unfortunately what we're talking about is kind of um, it's theoretical, but the reality and the history of all mankind is the 80, 20 rule. 20% of the people are going to do unbelievably good things. They're going to be very successful. They're going to uh, start a business, do a real estate portfolio, become a doctor, become a dentist, become a lawyer, uh, become an engineer. And there's a whole series of reasons why those 20% are successful and the other 80% are not. And that rule will never change. You cannot make anybody in the 80% join the 20%. Your, Mark Twain said, when did you get so excited? And, and I, I have to say, you know, I'm watching you guys. You guys are like that. You were born this way. You, you, you had parents or people who influenced you that made you guys successful. And 80% of the people just don't have it. They never will. So my 96-year-old friend who's very wealthy and very smart, this is his comment. If you were to take all the money in the United States and divide it equally amongst all the people and you track to the 20% were, approximately a year later, those 20% will have all the money they used to have and the 80% will have nothing because they don't know how to do it. They're not motivated to do it. They don't have the cultural background to do it. They're not educated enough to do it. 
So the 20% are the ones who are going to continue doing what you're saying. And you got to watch the trends. Even people in the 80% are going to move to Florida because it's got great weather and uh, it's a beautiful place. I mean, I'd like to move to Florida. Chicago's terrible in the winter. And there's no income. Homestead Act, Damon, don't they have like where you, once you buy your home, you can't lose your home no matter lawsuit, bankruptcy? Like, isn't there a Homestead Act? Homestead, yes. There is Homestead here in Florida. Yeah. Yeah, you could you could uh, you could pretty much do anything, and they can't attach it. Other I mean, guys, the IRS is the only exception. Oh, yeah. of yeah, course they, they get their piece. Somehow, some way, somehow, but yeah, but yeah. I mean, I agree. I mean, I, actually, I've heard that. Um, I've heard that in a different space, Joel. Uh, someone said something similar, but it it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Right? It's like you could see it on a, just a smaller scale. It's like. Okay, so right, well, Cody, you tell me of, of all the people you almost have a hundred uh, different organizations that you you oversee, right? Talk about the eighty twenty rule. Twenty percent of them are doing all the business, and eighty percent are doing much less of it, right? Hundred percent right. Pareto rule. Yeah, hundred percent true. Hundred percent true. And can you change the ones who are in the eighty percent very much? Uh. I heard it best from Tony Robbins. He says, I am the greatest motivator in the world. And he claims to be that. And I, I, I actually would throw some stock into that one all day long. Yeah. He says, uh, uh, if a four out of a 10 comes to me and gets on a phone, I'll change him to a 10 instantly when they get on that phone with me. The issue is two weeks later, they're back down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't fix that. So motivation is not the answer for sure. And then we always hear when the student's ready, the master appears. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you can't force it upon people. You can't change. And, and there's so much things that are involved. And I'm learning this now as the owner of now uh, being a franchisor. Right. We're seeing this within. You want everyone to win so bad, but that doesn't change anything. They go on it. Um, and so that's you're bringing up fantastic points, Joe. Yeah. I have a friend who's got smoke shops. He's he's in the smoke shop business all over the country. Yeah. And, you know, that's like rolling papers and tobacco and other stuff and bongs and you know whatever they sell so this guy uh had lunch with me my wife and my son on sunday and he told me he had 104 stores which is exactly the right sample yeah how many do you think are doing great 20 <laughs> wow. and the whole organization i'm guessing he didn't tell me this probably makes a little money if they could get rid of the bottom 50% and replace them even with 10% more good ones, they'd be making a fortune, but that's just not how the rule works. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest frustrations I have. You, like there's the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. It's just like, ah, oh, and I want to help people. I want them to achieve and you, you can't help everybody. Just Here's something interesting. This is actually, I think, a lot of principles that we live by that are great principles. I think they were, they're all regurgitated. We hear 20 different versions of it, but it's funny how interesting how, how so many of them come from, like, even just the Bible, for example. There's a specific verse in there that uh, I believe it's like 2 Corinthians, if I remember right. It says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses shall the word be established. So not to preach to anyone, this is not the point. The, the principle is the point here is... Even Christ needed 12 apostles. Just one voice wasn't doing the work it needed to be done. So he enlists the 12. They go out. And now these people that have heard it once, now they hear it twice or three times. Like, 
wait, maybe there's something to this. My only hope as a father, when I have four kids, me and my wife working diligently to raise great people, is why it's so important that me and my wife pick the best five couples to hang out with, the best five families to hang out with, because me and my wife's voice is not enough. Sometimes it's in one ear and out the other. And all of a sudden, we've all had these experiences for those that have kids. Your kid comes home and says, hey, you wouldn't believe this. Blake just told me this. I'm like, you son of a gun. I've been telling you this for 10 years. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. But I'm, I don't get mad. I'm like, this is why the power of two or three witnesses shall the word be established. That is a true principle. The only hope we have when it comes to trying to raise the tides is get is that's why I love the community within Joe Homebuyer, for example, is because it's no longer just like, well, yeah, you're Cody. You've got the gift of gab. Like you can talk forever and I'm not you. So how am I going to do deals like you when you're Cody and I'm not Cody? But when you get the community saying, oh, man, they did exactly what Cody said. They did a deal. Oh, my gosh, I did this. And you get two, three, four voices. It helps raise the tide. So it does get better when the when you can have a community of uh, a force other than yourself doing the message. So that's the only hope I have is get as many people winning so it raises the tide because by myself, you're right, Joel, I can't do it. It's impossible. And I got another one for you. You can't change people. No, no. Stop trying, right? You can't change people. They are who they are. You're not going to change them. I have, I have mentored 70 people in the industrial real estate business. 21 after today, bro. Get ready. <laughs> 21 of them are multimillionaires. Guess what? They were destined to be from day one. The other 50, I couldn't change them no matter how much talking I did. And by the way, when when you marry somebody and they're not exactly right for you and you think you're going to change them, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I have a friend, a woman, she wanted to get married. She found a guy after a number of years and she was ready. And she confided in me, there's a few things about him that I just have a problem with. And uh, they got married and those problems just got worse and they got divorced because she couldn't change him. She tried so hard and I've tried so hard. You know, you got your franchisees. I'm sure you try so hard to make the ones who are at the bottom come up a little. It is so hard. You just can't change people. So I had tears come down my eyes. It's like... It's not just leading the horse to water. I will bend over and grab water and pour it down their throat if they don't want it, and it's still not enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All good. Guys, let's keep it going here. Um, from New York Post, here's how many millennials regret their first home purchase. <laughs> Saying uh, instantly on this one. <laughs> <laughs> this is a ninety percent of millennial homeowners expressed regrets, um, which is an 8% increase from the 2023 millennial home buyer report. So the most common source of remorse was the location mm -hmm. closely followed by unpleasant neighbors and high interest rates. <laughs> I can relate to those first two. My first house I bought by myself, terrible location. Thought it was going to get, you know, the, the neighborhood was improving, but the crime went up and, and then I had the worst neighbors, which I saw before I bought it. I should have, I should have 
with, with my gut because I was like, oh, yeah, maybe it'll be fine. They'll change. Oh, <laughs> like we were just saying, they didn't change. They got worse. Yeah. Yeah. You get to you get to be the the expert in that one, James. Right? You get to share that story when people say, like, I bought my first house and it was I bought it at one hundred percent financing. Didn't mm. didn't have a, didn't have a clue on how to how to even qualify someone to to be a tenant, and surprisingly, they didn't pay their rent. So I was you know I was uh, I was on the hook, and then that just kind of turned into a, a spiral from there. But but that's you know I, I when you when I heard that that uh, kind of like headline, I wonder if it's like the regret because is it because of those factors or it's also because kind of the, 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 the job market's a little bit different too. Like I think when uh, I talk to my in-laws or, you know, uh, who are older than, than Joe, I'm sorry, uh, Joel, you know, they tell me like, yeah, you know, we bought our first house and we, you know, got a 30 year mortgage fix and that was it because they knew their job wasn't going to move. Right. Like they knew they were going to be there for the most part, work for the same company for the next 10, 15, 20 years. They didn't have any plans. Here, I think the 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 landscape is much different. You might be remote one with one company, you might get tired after a year or two, and that, that startup might be over and you move to a different company across the country. So it's like, I think, I wonder how much of that has to uh, impact their satisfaction on this thing too, because they're, they're, you can't plant roots if you don't know where the heck you're gonna be. Yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely the trend of, People not staying in their jobs for long. Yeah, and yeah. and I don't I don't know if that's an employee thing. I think most people would want to stay at their job for as long as they possibly could. Uh, I just don't know if the if our if our landscape like as an economy and employers are just like you know like for me I, I employ quite a few people overseas. Why uh, the price point and then also the skill level is is pretty much on par with with what I'm getting here in the U.S. And it's at a lower price. So it's like, I can't hire those people. So now those people are, are pushed up into a market to compete with the people that actually do have the skill. So uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, the, the the outcome or the outlook, I don't know how how bleak it is or their satisfaction. But I, I think, you know, you just have to kind of look at it, uh, your purchase as a, uh, what do you say? When you buy, when you're buying a home, look at it as you're buying a liability. And if you don't want to buy that liability, don't buy it. Stay renting. Yeah, yeah. I think their outlook of the future has a big sway in probably what you're saying too. Like, like you said, I think yeah. the byproduct we hear it's the neighbor, and I, I don't think it's the neighbor. I think that's the, I think that's the excuse that hides the probably the bigger problem. It's probably their outlook. Yeah. No. Personally, I think we're in a and we're in a global economy, like you said. I, yeah. I can hire overseas. And so if you're not going to compete, there's people that are willing to go to work and give me their best for a lot less. And it's not that I need to employ just people because of cost, but I mean that's 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 gravy. That's on top of it. But they're happy, they're excited, they come with mm -hmm. energy that I'm like you came pissed off, like entitled and entitled. Like, mm -hmm. it's, just, it's just a different. Yeah, I love millennials. I hope you're watching, but it's just, it's you got to get better. You got to get better. Our, our, we have shifted. And if you look from um, Joel, you're not much older than me, by the way. I'm 40. You say you're in your 60s, right? I mean, we're not talking massive years. Uh, but at the end of the day, 
there has been a shift in every in every age group and i don't think it's for the better to be honest i think uh i think we're getting softer and weaker in many areas and uh entitlements growing through the roof i think there's just things that are we've got to get better we've got to get better but not many will if we go back to that 80 20 world i i have a tip on that um i started a business and built it up and sold it uh back in 2014 a real estate company i sold to a company out of texas uh called transwestern and while i was the founder and ran the company and built it up through today i've hired hundreds of people and i've watched who works out and who doesn't work out here's a tip when i see a resume and somebody can't keep a job or won't stay at a job for longer than two years one year two years i look at resumes and if i see like nine jobs with someone who's 32 years old I don't even look at their name or anything. It just gets deleted mm-hmm. because in order to be really good at something, you have to do it until you're an expert. Like you wouldn't go to a doctor if you had to have surgery on your face to anybody who isn't great at doing exactly what it does so that there's no scar and so that there's no complications. Well, that guy didn't do it for a year and then jump into something else and start working on knees or start working on eyes you know people who specialize or who have one job they they really for for so many reasons are more desirable and they're going to be more successful and i think when they buy a house they look at the house as like it's not like something where i'm going to get in and get out they're long-term people and they stay for a long time now if you're a house hacker it's different which that's a whole different discussion but i think that the whole point of of remorse and of not feeling like you made a good decision is because you're a jumper and you've got fomo all the time and i stay away from fomo people they're bad i'm making a a judgment they're bad That was a you guys would say because I think what's powerful about a podcast being on a platform like this is my hope millennials are watching first and foremost, but real time, what would you say is a habit? So there's a takeaway. What would you say is the number one habit they need to have in their arsenal? I would love to hear everyone your inputs before I give mine. What that? Oh. What's a habit that would make them soar to a new level? Oh, this one's easy for me. Um, I have I have an 18 year old. I'm 43, and it, I'm very proud of him. But I look around at the things that kind of distract him, and I wonder if I was in his shoes, what would I, what would I just get rid of? I I would I would only go. This would be my habit. I would only go to social media if I am creating something mm-hmm. instead of consuming. Yes, I would only go to social media to post and get right the heck off and get back into life. Because, because if if you don't, uh, you got a, you got a world of distraction. Because I've heard somewhere say this, and I, I think this is the truest, and this is probably one of the other things that I think affects our you know mental health, right? Yeah. Someone says comparison is the stealer of all joy, and I can't think of any other place or any other time in history that we had more comparison or ability to compare ourselves to everybody else, uh, and to see how well we're doing or how well we're not, and I. It's just, it's, 
I would just do that. That would be the number one thing. Post and get off. Because you can't tell them don't be a hermit. Don't go on. Like, that's just not realistic. Yeah. Somebody's going to at least, you know, at least uh, YouTube. But do it and get off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there are like 10 answers to that question and none of them are wrong right but to me I, i've got a lot of billionaire people in my life a lot i got yeah. a lot of very wealthy people in my life i've got a lot of very successful people who've been in marriages for a very long time the number one thing that i see that separates someone who's got a successful life is curiosity hmm. Love asking questions not well, telling yeah. people what to do, not solving everybody else's problems. It's asking great questions, and then your mind works to figure out what are you going to do about those answers. I had this one guy, I asked him to invest with me, and I know he's worth $12 billion. And I get out of Zoom with him a few months ago, and he's on with an assistant who's taking notes. Like, she's typing and whatever. He doesn't even take his own notes. So I've got these two people and I'm not even able to get a word in edgewise. And he starts asking questions one after another, after another, after another. And like, these are great probing questions. He wants to learn. He wants to make the best decision. He's very experienced with good judgment. And all of a sudden he says, all right, well, this has uh, been a nice conversation. Thanks for spending the 10 minutes. I'm not doing this. It's not for me. Well, <laughs> And I, I said, can I ask you why? He said, yeah, you can ask me why, but I'm not going to tell you. I don't have time. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> that was what he did. But he makes decisions every day by asking probing questions every minute. So when he's in a meeting, and I've noticed that about all the most successful people who run businesses, they are curious. They want to know. They want to solve a problem by understanding all the elements of it. Yeah. Um, well, that's magic. Thanks for that. I, one of my favorite books is called A Curious Mind by Brian Grazer. He was a movie producer. He went around. He, he had a job when he was a kid delivering documents to other producers and just kind of got, you know, through in the door talking to these guys and, and built his own career. It's, it's fascinating, but he talks about his just insatiable curiosity being the key to him being successful and producing some blockbuster movies. If he didn't have that curiosity, it never would have happened. But I really, I love that book. If anybody wants to check that out. That is fantastic. I'm going to yeah. that in. Yeah. There's one, there's a quote that kind of leads to mind. Small, daily, seemingly insignificant improvements when done consistently over time lead to stunning results. So to add to, by the way, I agree 100%. There's probably 10 answers, Joel. Mine is just the habit of being consistent. There's the, mm -hmm. there's the law of 100 hours. Now, we've heard of 10,000 hours to become an expert, right? But the law of 100 hours, if you spread that over 365 days, over one year, this is not, we're not talking big. That's 18 minutes a day. If you just 18 minutes a day work on that thing, whatever that is, the studies are showing that you will be better than 95%. 95%, meaning the 5% rule when we talk about how do you become the 5% and you're, it, it, the quote ends with be willing to do what 95% aren't willing to do. This is the, the most simplistic way I've ever had it taught me. And that is the 100 hour rule. And that is just simply 18 minutes a day for 365 days 
puts you ahead of 95%. That's crazy to me. It's so small, daily, seemingly insignificant improvements when done consistently over time lead to stunning results. It's, it's not hard. Uh, Joel, you're not doing any one big thing. You just continue to do the small things consistently that's led to your victories over and over again. Damon, James, myself, I'm not doing anything big. I do the small things consistently that 95% of the people aren't doing. Yes. I, I love this. It's so funny. Like, we're here. We're talking talk about, about the news anymore. <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, oh, shit, we got to keep going. But, like, we're diving into, like, the mindset, and it's the which is really the key to success in real estate. This is this is the real stuff, right? So I, I love that we're getting into this stuff. Um, but let, yeah, we got a couple more here from Fox Business. Developer pitches plans for tallest building in U.S. in unlikely city. Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. Yeah. Boardwalk at Bricktown Tower. It says uh, nineteen hundred feet tall, making it the country's largest or tallest and fifth tallest skyscraper in the world so what is it about oklahoma city i'm i'm curious what is it about Oklahoma? i mean they, they've been on the map now the last five ten years i know oil but what else what else is it that's so attractive anybody i'm not sure you know um cody and i have a mutual friend adam adams his his group was investing in multifamily, and one of their big ones was was out there I think they're still holding it, but you know, they were looking at all the metrics, um, job growth and all that stuff and picked that market out of all the ones in the U S but I, I don't know all the details. So okay. I don't need it. It's not the thunder. Cause once they lost Durant, that team went down. <laughs> exactly. It started with Harden, right? They, they messed that one up and then just started going down from there. Well, maybe they lucked out on Harden. I will, I will tell. I, I think Damon's the brilliant one here. I think that Florida is where I would do that. I'm an, <laughs> this developer, I believe, I believe he's got FOMO. He's got a very small penis. That's why he's such a big building. <laughs> the, the, the developer. I think yeah, it's an ego play too. Like instantly, I don't know why I was thinking that too. I was thinking, I'm like, this is an ego play. Like, Everybody's thinking the guy's got an eeny weeny little peeny. So he's got to build a 2,000 yeah. foot tall building. Look at my building. He drives the girls by, right? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, that's he, dri he drives a Rolls Royce. Yep. Yeah. I, he's out, to, he's out to impress people. Yep. Go build in a small town. To be completely honest, right when I saw this title, I'm like, I have no idea because yeah. I feel like this is probably an ego play. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's got to be. I'm, I'm interested, though. Yeah. I like Oklahoma City. I had relatives who were both doctors there. Uh, they moved away, but when I went to visit, it was nice. But I don't think I would build the biggest building in the world there. Yeah. I don't know. Let's jump to the next one. Fox News U.S. laughs off reports of Putin eyeing Alaska as Russia's former real estate, uh, not getting it back. So... It, I'm actually from Alaska, born and raised, and so I know a little bit of the history. Okay. Um, it says in the article, so we brought, bought it from Russia in 1867 for 
7.2 million, which is chump change these days. But, deal. Yeah, it was a deal. But, yeah. But even back then, it, it, it was still a good deal. Yeah. Now they're regretting it. So I guess they had uh, a team of people trying to find real estate holdings that they used to hold or maybe they were had forgotten about or something. So um, I love uh, Alaska. We went on a hiking, biking and rafting trip there one summer. Nice. Couldn't fall asleep. It was light all night. <laughs> yeah, you gotta have an eye mask. <laughs> that sounds yeah, cool. I wish I had more to add to this. I I had nothing to add on this one. I felt like I was like, I can't wait to see maybe what someone has on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sure they are regretting selling it for so cheap. FOMO, here it comes. FOMO. I exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's not how yeah. the world works. Yep. Too late. Well, they could try to strong arm it back, but they're going to have some problems if they try that. <laughs> I don't care who the president is. If they made any moves to taking back Alaska, they would be bombed to smithereens. Oh, yeah. We, we protect our states. Yeah. Yeah. We should, yeah, we definitely have to. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. E even one of their uh, State Department guys. Oops. Why is that ringing? Sorry. Um, one of their State Department guys stated that Putin wouldn't be able to reclaim it. So they're kind of like, yeah, <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> Something like that. It, it made us all it made us all click and want to know and ask the question at least right so it was good headline that's yeah. what happens mark yeah they're doing their job writing some good headlines cool all right for our last item from cnbc make it this scenic town in croatia is selling houses for just 13 cents but there's a catch okay. so yeah they're trying to boost their population um which there's been some other uh, other countries, other European countries specifically, right? Like a lot. Of, I heard like a, some a couple of cities in Italy. Absolutely. That, yeah, that's a it's a prominent thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, yep. Again, yeah, well, it's a yeah, beautiful it's a beautiful place. Um, my my friends who've traveled there come back and say it's absolutely beautiful. To Croatia, it's yeah. Yeah, the the yeah. thing about about this these gimmicks. Um, we do that in the industrial real estate business. We give people free rent. Uh, and so that sucks them in. In one deal, I had a 10 year lease. We gave them a year of free rent. We leased it to Uniroyal Tire Company. And we were struggling to lease a big vacant building that was costing millions of dollars a year to carry in taxes, insurance, maintenance, and utilities, and mortgage. So we gave away the first year to get them there. And then they stayed and stayed and stayed and they paid the taxes, insurance, maintenance and utilities and it worked. So these upfront giveaways to bring people to a place work. Yeah, that's yep. got to be the play, right? Yeah. Yep. But if if that country and I don't know anything about the country, if it lacks leadership, if it lacks um, some kind of standard of culture, morals, if it lacks that, 13 cents doesn't solve the problem. I think that is the, I think this is treating the symptom and not the problem. I wonder 
if they have to sell these at 13 cents because there's a problem that is much greater than just the 13 cents real estate. And then second of all, if it's 13, 13 cents, what's the caliber of the individual that's going to buy that? And so I wonder if they're not even going to attract the people that are going to help grow the country in a positive way in the first place. That's a good maybe, point. Maybe. However, I look at where Damon lives in Florida. You know there's no income tax, no state income tax in Florida. Right. And so someone might say the same thing. Well, why are they having no income tax? They're going to suck people down there. It'll be a bad place. Because every freeway you drive on, they charge you. <laughs> <laughs> right. They get it a different way. So you're right. So in, in Croatia, they're going to get it a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I was saying in Croatia, that's, uh, their population has been dwindling since 1918. So there's a systemic problem with there's an underlying the, problem that yeah, i have yeah. 13 cents solves yeah and yeah you wonder if they i mean are they too late on this uh on this uh on coming up with a solution i mean 1918 they didn't see it sw swinging way back then maybe we could have did something back then you know but yeah i don't know okay good place to visit yeah and you can only buy from what i understand from that article you you can't already own a home there this is for new people I two. It's like you're getting a one-time shot at this. One off. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Also, yeah, the other catches were under 45 years old. Um, in Maryland. Sorry, Sorry, bro. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I've got five years to get on this bus. I gotta hurry up myself, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right. Well, hey. Want one? We'll do a different LLC, and I'll get you one, brother. <laughs> cool guys that's that's our show this is cool this is yeah great. love yeah. having you guys on um thanks to our sponsors universe media publishing and united states real estate investing again thanks to our guests cody hoffine damon hart and joel friedland uh in that order guys go ahead and tell people how they can connect with you my Best way is through Instagram. Uh, I'm awkward. In fact, I don't even look at emails. That's what my executive assistant does. She runs my whole life. Um, so not good at uh, email. That sounds crazy. Um, and I, I, I rarely give out my phone just because I check that really, really good. Um, but Instagram, I, that's me that responds on that. Facebook, it's probably someone on my team that will help respond back. But uh, best way. So it's just Cody Hotline, just my name, that you can find me. Uh, Look for the one that has the blue check mark because there are plenty of ripoffs out there that are Cody offline as well. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's right. how you know you made it, Cody. You made it. Well, you kind of, uh, let's be honest. I'm, I'm humble enough to also say I'm the one that also bought the blue check mark because I had so many fake accounts. So, no, I'm not anything big. I'm not anything grand. I'm just a person that puts on their pants one leg at a time like everyone else. Cool. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. So for me, uh, it's real simple. My first name and last name, Damon Hart, uh, Mr. Foxy. I know what you're thinking. Uh, if you're watching a podcast, you wouldn't know, but you're thinking, how's this guy look so, so great? It's, it's, it's not, uh, it's not me being um, braggadocious. It's just because it's Foxy Homebuyer. And I, I started the company, Mr. Foxy. And um, you can reach me there on Instagram. And uh, I, I am one of those people that I feel pretty accessible. I'll give you my office number. This is my office cell, 813-413-7929. Call me, text me anytime. Um, 
And if it's something, just let me know. If you're texting, it's easier because I'll hear from you and I'll know what it's about. And let's talk about it, see if there's something where I can help you and you help me and see how we can do something together. But again, Damon Hart, Foxy, Mr. Foxy, uh, Instagram, and also all right, and I am at BritProperties.com, B-R-I-T with one T, Properties.com. We've got a pretty uh, fulsome website with a lot of information about what we do with our no debt, no mortgage uh, real estate investments for investors. We have an interesting thing. We Our investors start often at $25,000, the lowest uh, increment entry of anybody we know so that we can get to know people and they can get to know us. Uh, Brit Properties. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Uh, I'm your host, James Brown, and I show people how to make safe, secure returns through our hybrid investing model. Go to hybridinvestor.vip to learn more and add www if it doesn't pop up for you. Uh, also, a huge thanks to our producer, Antonio Holman with United States Real Estate Investor. He's awesome. Uh, follow and subscribe to This Month in Real Estate Investing at, on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash at United States REI or your favorite podcast app. And if you run across any interesting news, events, or good guests like we've had today, feel free to share by emailing Antonio at United States Real Estate Investor.com. And remember, when one door closes, another door opens to financial freedom. Awesome, guys. Thanks. Thanks so much. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, guys.